Chris the Tiger. Illegal substitution, too many men on the field, Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block in the sideline. He has not stepped out, he may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up, what a move, shoots, scores! Okay. All right, all right, okay. Hey, you know what? Yeah. A little extra excited there, the Elks, after a big victory over the Calgary Stampeders. An Edmonton win in Calgary is kind of rare. Robin, how you doing today? Oh, hang on a second. I'm outstanding. Nice. <laughs> I notice you get a little uncomfortable when you hear that elk. Oh, God, that's a hideous sound. It is My the rotting goodness. season. Come on. Yeah, well, just stay away from me, bub. <laughs> hey, it's Podcast 73. This one is a little special for us, and that is because we've been talking about getting Dwayne Mandrusiak and Barry Stafford on for a long, long time. Both guys, legendary equipment managers of their respective teams, the Edmonton Eskimos and the Edmonton Oilers. Are you looking forward to this one today? Finally! Absolutely looking forward to this one, Bryn. Um Ask a quick question and let them talk, because between the two of them, man, do these guys have some stories. We're not going to get into all of the statistics and all of the championships won by these guys. I will say one thing on Barry Stafford. If you take a look at all the titles and championships won by career of anybody who worked for the Edmonton Oilers organization, you know who's number one? Barry Stafford. And it isn't even close. Wayne Gretzky was the guy that pointed that out. He said, the most decorated guy in this locker room is Barry Stafford. Yep. And and that goes way, way back to even when he played as a U of A Golden Bear hockey player. And then and then Dwayne, who who uh, appeared on the football scene way back in the day as a ball boy and found his way into the position that he did with the football club. These guys have got a million stories. And and I guess the thing that makes the timing so neat on this is the fact that that Training camp for the Edmonton Oilers is only a few weeks away, as it is for any NHL club. The Elks got their preseason and their training camp going a little later than usual, but these guys have seen it all. And just because training camp starts for you, me, and the fans on a particular date doesn't mean these guys weren't going hard right from the get-go, Robin. Nope. The hardest working guys in sports, you spend any time around a professional sports team. I don't care what sport it is. Uh, the trainers and the equipment guys, they start before anybody and they finish their day after everybody's done. Um, good gig, tough gig. Let's not waste any time. Let's get right into talking to Dwayne Mandrusiak and Barry Stafford. It's one thing to start training camp and, and the fans and the media and the players show up at a particular date. But there's prep work that's got to be done before the players even get in there. So we were wondering, well, who do we talk to? Well, we're thinking, well, there's two legendary equipment managers that we we have access to. One is Dwayne Mandrusiak, longtime Edmonton Eskimo equipment manager, and Barry Stafford, longtime equipment manager for the Edmonton Oilers. And they join us on the podcast today. Guys, how you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? We're doing fine, Staffy. Good to see you. 
Fantastic and honored to be on this podcast with my close personal friend and colleague, Mr. The Legendary Dwayne Mandruziak. Right back at you, Staffy. Where do you guys want to start on this? I guess people just don't understand that you guys got to get in there a long time ahead of the players. Let, let's start with Dwayne and the football club. Dwayne, how, how much work goes into it before they, get, they even get into the locker room? Months, Bryn, uh, uh, when you have 100 guys come to camp, um, <coughs> the club keeps changing constantly. People used to say to me, do you go, do you wake up, uh, practice waking up early for training camp? I said, no, man, I sleep as much as I can because Staffy will tell you the truth. It goes from zero to 100 in a day. And um, we, we start months ahead. We start calling players, asking them about numbers, asking them about what they like to wear, uh, finding out a little bit about the personality of the players so that when they come in, I know what I'm dealing with. And um, constantly uh, uh, getting in touch with the manufacturers of the, the jerseys and the pants and, and all the stuff we wear. We had three mesh bags for each of our players. So uh, we've got a number of everything and, and get everything organized so that when the player comes in, all he's worried about is um, getting trying to make the team. And all we worry about is making sure he, he doesn't have those other issues. Well, I saw a lot more Euler training camps than I did uh, Eskimo training camps. And it, I, I always marveled at how the equipment crew, the training staff, everybody that you call behind the scenes, uh, what they had to do and had to do multiple times a day for days on end. Uh, Barry, you're out of that now. Um, do you miss that frantic pace you used to have to work at? Because, man, I tell you what, uh, watching you guys just made me tired. Well, you know, there, there's an awful lot that I do miss um, about the job. But, um, you know, I think Dwayne would agree with me. Um, you know, we're conditioned and we prepare ourselves personally. You have to be very prepared for, like he said, zero to 100. Um, first of all, we have lots of staff helping us out, and most of us are very experienced people. And uh, so when you're in the heat of battle and you're uh, organizing, in our case, for a training camp, we have 100 players. I mean, we're, we're lucky during the season we only carry 25. Dwayne's got 60 to 70, maybe more players throughout the season, though. So, um, it, training camp for hockey is is uh, is probably the toughest time time of the year, uh, just because of numbers, uh, scheduling, those kind of things. But you know, when you're in the heat of battle, um, you don't really look at it as as a lot of work or extra work. It's just part of the job. But a hundred guys, Dwayne. Wow. Well, you know what it is. It's getting for and Staffy will attest to this. It's getting into the routine. You know, we used to joke that itineraries are written in pencil because they change constantly, depending on what the coach feels or, 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 the, or the weather. I mean, we've had, a, when Ronnie was coaching here in, 90, in the mid-90s, we had a training camp where I think almost every day it rained. The unfortunate part for us was we didn't have the, uh, the indoor facility at that time. We were at Concordia. So you've got to be fluid and, and just accept that. Uh, I tell my guys, Make sure you get your rest. I mean, and staff, he's right. We had lots of guys helping us, but it takes an army to run a camp, you know, because there's everybody's got a, a specific job. And, and I hired guys that made sure they did exactly what they were supposed to do. And it made it easier for me. Dwayne, we, we, 
We were talking about this earlier, uh, and I wanted to ask you while while we're rolling here, um, for the first time in a long time, you're sitting back and you're not in the middle of that mix. Um, how does it feel to not be in the center of that storm? I know you'd rather be, but uh, now that it's happening and the, we're into the season and you're at arm's length for the first time in a long time, how does it feel? Um, it's very foreign to me, Robin. You know, I'm used to, um, I love the, uh, the grind. I, I really, um, I, a lot of people didn't like training camp. I like training camp. I, I like the fact that um, I was able to get to know the players very quickly and, and develop a, a bond right away. And, and then I, I, um, I've take, taken that um, and channeled it somewhere else to try to keep myself busy. And, and, um, and I've talked to other equipment guys, George Hopkins in Calgary and I are great friends and Danny Webb. So I've kept in touch with those guys and I'm uh, working with the players association has uh, given me a chance to stay in the game and, and uh, players, uh, the equipment managers call me when they have an issue, so um, uh, health and safety issue. So I, I get to still stay in touch with the manufacturers who I've known for years. So it keeps me in the game, and and it keeps me uh, from uh, jumping off the bridge, so to speak. You know. Well, let me throw this at both of you guys. There's that that first time where you have to watch that very first game of the year or whatever. And maybe you're sitting in the seats. Maybe you're watching it on television. Staffy, we'll start with you. Do you remember that first uh, that first game that you may have watched? And uh, and now now you've got the emotion out of it. Now you're just casually watching it. Can you casually watch it? I guess is the question. Well, I, I, that's an interesting question. You know, I I um, well both people that have jobs like Dwayne and I, we we have the best seat in the house. You know, for 28 years or whatever, I had the best seat in the house, my little space on the on the end of the bench there. Um, I'll tell you, it was very strange for me to watch a hockey game from the press box. Um, and then that's basically where I did. I, I didn't feel comfortable sitting in the stands at all. It felt, felt very weird. So I never did it, uh, sit in the stands to watch a game. But, uh, you know, it, it's just a whole different perspective. Um, and... You know, my situation was a bit different in that uh, the, the way I left the, the training side of things. I mean, I, I I didn't really miss any work. I just moved into a different department. But as far as the, um, you know, watching the team play, it was very, very different. And uh, I, I guess I learned and I got a different appreciation for, for the game and the players watching from up top. Because I'll tell you what, uh, it sure looks easier up there and the mistakes are way more prevalent when you're, when you're up in the, uh, in the stands or in the press box watching. So, uh, um, yeah, it was just very different and it took a bit of time to get used to. Dwayne, what about you? A little different? Yeah, really different. I, um, the games that I have watched this year, I watch as an equipment guy to see what guys are wearing and how the helmets look and if the decals are straight and, (laughs) which is what I did any, every other year when I would watch my, my cohorts and, and um, it's it's different from a. I have found myself watch a couple minutes of other teams and then get up and walk around and and uh, do something around the house or whatever. But um, I haven't watched. I'm like staff. I have probably could count on one hand how many times I've sat and actually in a stadium and watched a game. So um, I um, it's a big adjustment. And then I mean I, it's no different than the players. You know I talk to a lot of players who 
have trouble in that first couple of years uh, going to any games or watching any games. So, um, you know, I just, uh, I, I watch the games that I, I decided to pick on because they interest me, but um, it's not a big deal. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned Dwayne, you, you look at the, equipment before I get on to my main thought here I was looking at those bloody helmets more than once this season and thinking those horns are not on there the same way on every helmet they're ver- they're different on virtually every helmet somebody's got to somebody's got to straighten this out and I'm not even I'm not even an equipment guy but um I know with both of you um I mean, I was at arm, arm's length from the club, even as a beat as a beat guy. You know, we're not as close as 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 two guys like you. But I forget the scores and I forget some of the records and the big wins and the big losses. What I remember is the people. Is it any different for you two? For me, it's the people. I mean, uh, my situation is very similar to Barry's. Uh, the way that things uh, finished with the club, but. Um, it's amazing how many people from every like era have, have contacted me and kept in touch with me. And so, you know, and I, I, I'm the same way I, I focus. People would talk to me about the games that we had played or what was coming up. My focus was week to week um, on what we had coming in and, and making sure that I didn't mess up. That was my biggest fear was that I would forget something and, and it would affect a game and I would affect a hundred people in our organization. So that, that always kept me on my toes. But um, uh, as far as like scores and stuff, I, I don't remember many of them, but I certainly remember guys and actually having conversations on sidelines with guys like with Giz and those guys. So that's the part that I, I, I take the most satisfaction in. Staffy. Well, I've always said that one of the best parts of working in the NHL and specifically for me working for the Oilers is the people. Um, you know, we as, a, I guess, a support staff or, or behind the scenes staff, no different than the Eskimos training staff and, and, train, and uh, equipment managers, is that, you know, we get to know the players, the coaches, the managers on a different level, on a personal level. We're generally all friends uh, and we're all sort of pulling on the same rope, all part of the team. So you start to develop um, very, very strong relationships with people and it's specifically because you're in very high pressure situations. Like people forget at times that, you know, you're dealing with a bunch of grown men that uh, are very, very competitive people and uh, they get upset and, you know, it can get, uh, can get, pretty ugly down in the trenches. And I'm, I'm talking um, mainly against the opponents on a win-loss situation, but also within personalities, there's always different personalities on the team uh, from the coaching staff to the players and within the players group. And um, I think, um, you know, so, so the, my, my point is that we develop as staff very close relationships with these players and uh, players are, um, retired a lot longer than they play. So in our case with alumni members, um, you know, we've stayed very close in touch with most of the players that have, have come through our, our locker room. I can't even imagine uh, probably 800 to a thousand former players or alumni. Um, and, uh, and so it's, it's that relationship that, uh, and, and that level of um, 
sort of, uh, I guess, the relationship we have with the people is what, what really stands out in my mind. They're all generally great guys. Both of you guys have got an unbelievable... When you start t- taking a look at, at your records and, and the amount of people you've touched, not just with the specific football club or the specific hockey club, and you recognize that you've got friends all over. Uh, Dwayne, classic example, and by the way, happy birthday. Uh, that's a nice milestone for you here this week. But I noticed that Pat Woodcock, for example, sent you a nice little note on your Twitter account, and I'm thinking, here's a guy who never played here, but has such a high level of respect for you. And then, Staffy, you, you've been on Canada Cups and Olympics and that kind of stuff. Does it, It's got to really warm your heart when you see how much you're able to touch other players on other teams and how much they respect you. And we'll start with you on that one. Uh, Dwayne, we'll go with you first. Well, it's funny because you spend so much time at, at, with these guys. They become part of your family. Um, I know when I got married in 1982, we... We had 400 people at our wedding and it was five days after we won the Grey Cup in 82. And I had my cousins calling me to say, why didn't I get invited? And I said, well, cause I had, to, I invited the football team and you know, those are the people you hang around that, you know, all about them. And the interesting part about sports and Staffy, I think you'll attest to this is you could work in an office across from a guy for 30 years and not know very much about him. When a player comes into your locker room, you find out about his family, where he was, what he's done, all the stuff, and you, you bond very quickly with him. And it's funny, uh, Jerry Cork sent me a message the other day. He's living in Tampa. Hmm. And um, I just said, I wonder what Jerry, uh, Robbie Strecker and I were talking, I wonder what Jerry Cork is up to, and I get this message from him. So players stay in touch, and I think it's it's good for the uh, the alumni guys, for people like us to to be able to, it reinforces what they did as uh, as a contributor to the organization that it meant something, you know. Staffy, well, I I was very fortunate um, through the th- through the thirty eight years that I worked with the company. I mean, I had four basically four different careers within that time. Twenty eight generally was the was the longest uh, job that I had as a as a equipment manager. And face it, you know, I was very lucky. I came on at a good time. And I, I had a great run down in the dressing room with the team. But uh, one of the most, uh, they were all rewarding jobs. But the last job that I had uh, uh, sort of managing and, and starting up in a, uh, the alumni department within the Oilers organization, um, as a good friend of mine, Nick Wilson, one of my colleagues said, Barry, you've auditioned for this job your whole life. And to, to Dwayne's point, like, we build such strong relationships with these players on a personal level. And uh, it, it would be like family that's gone away for 10 years and they come back and it's like, you haven't missed a beat, um, you know, through, like I say, the trials and tribulations of being on a sports team, um, the winning and losing, it, it has a tendency to bring people closer together. So in my case, um, you know, specifically alumni and all the players that have left, uh, I, I was reunited with, with so many of these guys because of all the different events, the charity events and uh, all the, all the, uh, the Oilers do a great job at having parties, man, celebrating, celebrating the history. Uh, when you look at the 30th year uh, reunion, you guys were all part of all these uh, huge events, the banner raisings, the 30 year anniversary, the 25th uh, or story, the Centennial's greatest team event. Um, you know, go on and on. So, uh, one thing about our organization, they've been excellent at uh, bringing back not only our 
our great players, our Hall of Famers, but but any of the players that played in as part of our alumni group. So I'm lucky in that case. I was very lucky um, that I was, you know, I could continue these relationships through all these different events. You know, people talk about family with teams, uh, whether it's the football club, whether it's the hockey club. I got a peek inside at the alumni part of it uh, uh, with Hockey Helps the Homeless, and you were front and center on that, Barry, uh, with the alumni group. It, it was not amazing, but it just struck me uh, about the closeness there and the brotherhood and the fraternity. Um, some guys haven't played here for 15, 18, 20 years, and I would sit back and watch you guys strike up conversations like you'd seen each other yesterday and I would assume it's the same for Dwayne too. Those relationships that uh, once they're formed uh, are very meaningful and there's real ties that bind there. Dwayne, do you want to jump in on that one first? Yeah, you know what? He's, you're absolutely right. It, uh, you know, they always say that championships bond you for life. And, but there's also, you know, the, the, the fact that guys, to watch guys accomplish something that a milestone in their life to make professional football, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, and, and uh, people that used to make fun of, they'd say how bad our players were because they weren't making a lot of money. I used to say it's the last true professional sports where you play for the love of the game. And they get the same injuries the NFL guys get. They just don't get paid what the NFL guys get. And they take so much pride in what they do. And you know what I used to, it didn't matter to me if it was Warren Moon or if it was, Ian Bryans, you know, we treated those guys the same because it took a lot of work when everybody took more work for Ian Bryans to get into the CFL than it did Warren Moon, you know, and I made sure that they were acknowledged and, and honored by that with us. And I, I never took a day that I did for granted. You know, I was, I'm the luckiest five foot five guy in Canada to get the job that I got, you know, but um, uh, these guys, you know, it, it, it's, um, it's with, our staff, the Eskimo staff and the Oilers staff, in, the, in our both our glory days, it was great because our staffs got along great. We, that's where we bonded our friendship, hey, Staffy, and mm-hmm. uh, and the uh, and it continues today. I mean, that's that's the great part about it. We respected what each of the organizations did, and and our players respected the Oilers, and the Oilers respected our guys. So it's um, it, it's something that. When you're sitting there and all of a sudden you see something, you clicks in your mind, and you start laughing. And Alice says, "What are you laughing at? Just just think of stupid stuff they did, you know." And Barry, what about you? How do you view that? Well, it, it's I don't want to be off, off topic, but I will say that uh, part of the reason for the the great bonding of the staff as well is uh, we basically um, absconded Kenny Lowe from from Dwayne's staff uh, when uh, when Peter Miller left to be our, our head uh, uh, medical trainer. Um, and, of course, Kenny uh, Lowell was Kevin Lowell's brother. Um, and I had known Kenny through, and that's how I met Dwayne, through Kenny Lowell. And, um, you know, so one thing led to another as far as the personalities go and, and, the, and the friendship. But, uh, you know, there were many times when um, Kenny and I would be knocking on Dwayne's door looking for some suggestions or ideas on, you know, equipment or players being injured. And we're looking for a, a different kind of protection that might, that we haven't seen in the hockey business. Uh, Dwayne gave us great uh, suggestions and Dwayne also as, as a former goalie or as a goaltender, 
Uh, also had a lot of good insight with our goalies on our teams, right from Grant Fuhrer to Andy Moe, so you, you name it. Because uh, Dwayne was in our locker room as much as he could be, you know, based on his schedule. So uh, we, we gleaned a lot from from the football business. And I was very fortunate to get a, a whole different view of pro sports behind the scenes through Dwayne and Kenny Lowe. Um, and then once again, through our good friend, our, our, our mutual friend, Red Batty and the Green Bay Packers. So, you know, I've, I've had a great education for, um, on, on football. And I will say prior to, to uh, my career with the Oilers, I, I didn't really know much about football other than I was a fan of, of the Eskimos or uh, in the CFL. But uh, I, I really opened my eyes up to what goes on behind the scenes. And I'll tell you, I've always said that uh, Dwayne had a lot t- tougher job than I had be- just because of numbers, number of players he was looking after. Hey, hey, can I stick with that for a second? Because I was just thinking, uh, so Floyd Whitney was one of the backup goaltenders. Our good friend Brian Ross, who we lost recently, was a backup goaltender. Dwayne, were, how many times were you uh, called into duty to, uh, to be, I guess, the target guy? Did you, uh, did you ever lace him up very often? I remember one day, I think I did it about half a dozen times at least, eh, Staffy? Oh, yeah. And, and I, I, uh, it all started, I was sitting at home and the phone rang and it was Kenny Lowe and he said, what are you doing? And I said, not much, just hanging around. And he said, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, got nothing planned, it's an open day. And he goes, we need you. And I go, what do you mean you need you? We need you to come on and uh, strap the pads on for practice. I said, this is not a chance. I can't do that. And, and he goes, no, no, seriously, I already talked to Slats, you're in. And uh, I go, what do you mean? He says, you're in. Just, I said, we argued for a few minutes and he said, I told you you're in. So I said, okay, I'll meet you at the arena. He goes, we're not at the arena. We're at the mall. And I said, I'm not going to the mall. They have people watch me that. <laughs> so I, I, I get dressed and I'm next to Freddie Brathwaite. And I said to Freddie, what do I do? Give me some tips here. You know, and Freddie said, don't cheat. Whatever you do, Dwayne, don't cheat. So they did the first two on none and, guys coming down on my right side and I start to creep towards the middle and I see something go by my shoulder and it's, and I go, Whoa, what was that? And, and I hear Freddie at the far end go, don't cheat. You know? <laughs> and then Freddie would stand at center ice and shoot pucks at me and I'd catch him. And I told him to stop cause he shoot, he was shooting better than most of the guys I played hockey mm-hmm. with though. But it was great. Cause I, even when we did the, when I saw you at the Kevin Lowe, a tribute the other a couple weeks ago. A lot of those guys, the alumni guys, came up to me and, and were talking to me. It was really, uh, really cool. And and it's I um, I got a whole set of gear from them, so it was really neat. Who got the sunny end, by the way? Did Freddie give you that end? Because at one end of that arena, you always had the blazing sun in your eyes. It was what he. Oh, meant- I had the I had the sun. Okay. Yeah. 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 Just wondering. Just to make it easier for me. <laughs> you know. Uh, mentioned Brian Ross um, and talking about the light, the day, uh, day in the life of a trainer. One of the things I always remember about Barry, aside from the ridiculous amount of work he had to do and all the other things that were, would happen in a game when there were points on the line and it had to be done right now is that Chicago time, uh, Barry, we were short a goaltender and Brian Ross was going to have to go onto the roster and be the backup. And I, I think it was a, a Terry Hakana jersey that you grabbed and you peeled the name bar off some other stuff and made a name bar for Brian Ross. And there at the uh, 
uh, warm up skate. There was the goalie with the proper name bar and the uniform. I, I never forget that. And I know Brian never did either. You know, it's, it's funny. Blaine and I were talking about this just over the last few months, but you know, we'd have to have another podcast and a half a bottle of whiskey to start talking about some of these behind the scenes uh, <laughs> stories. But you know, the, the funny part about that was, um, yeah, it's kind of exciting. You know, Brian is a good friend of ours. God rest his lovely soul. Uh, and he took that role on as a, as a, as the third goalie. And I mean, you got to give these guys credit guys like Dwayne and Brian and Floyd Whitney and any of those guys that stepped in because, you know, players at first would just kind of lob like softballs at them. By the end of practice, they're winging them by their ears. Like, you know, it, it, uh, you got to give those guys credit. They're brave people. I would have never stood in there. But uh, actually, another funny story, I, will, I won't talk about it right now, but you got to remind me about Yvonne Lendl in the, uh, in the late uh, 80s, early 90s when he was the top player in the game. He actually came out to a practice, and I, I don't want to uh, get into that right now, but that's another goalie, funny goalie story. But the one thing I was going to say about that day in Chicago was Steve Passmore was uh, a former goal other player and he was playing for Chicago Blackhawks. The other goalie I can't remember at the time was on his way from the minors and he was just late warm up. He did actually show up. So Brian sat on the bench for a short amount of time, had to sign him to a contract and all the other informalities or formalities. But the funniest part was so Brian is nervous as shit. I mean we're talking like he's he's nervous. And uh you know the the sweater part was just something that we kind of do behind the scenes. We all have we always have a, a, a special kit in the in our uh, in our back pocket, as far as being able to change the, the letters and the name bars in a hurry, but uh, so I was just as excited as anybody to get Brian, and so was the team. We were happier at hell to see him out in the ice. So the funny part is at center ice, typically during a game, uh, a warm up for a game, uh, the goalies will 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 kind of go down on the ice on both sides of the red line. So here's Steve Passmore on one side of the red line, and here's Brian Ross on the other side of the red line, and they're stretching their groins and they're doing their stretch. So they're down on their knees. And uh, they have their masks on. And I'll never forget, uh, I kind of was standing there watching the discussion to see what was going on. And Passmore was kind of stretching out, stretching out, looks over, and he goes, Roscoe, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> I was fired in hell. And so, uh, you know, because they were friends as well as goalies. And, uh, you know, Brian took his routine in the, in the warm-up, and, you know, he took his shots and, he did sit on the bench, I believe, for for a short part of time in the first period. But then the other goalie showed up. But it's just a it was just a good news story. Um, you know, speaking of goalies too, on that note, and you guys might remember, and Dwayne, I'm sure you were paying attention to this too. Is was it Chicago that the uh, their third goalie ended up coming into a game and they won the game or something? It was a historical event in in the NHL, and that that's those are just kind of good stories. The stories I like to hear about. Hey, it would be wrong if we didn't talk about uh, training camps and talk about the great work that you guys, the legendary work that you guys did. And uh, you never, ever got enough credit for it, I I don't think, because people just naturally watch what's going on on the field or on the ice. But we can't not do a podcast and talk about our our good buddy Joey Moss here. And I don't know where we start with Mosser stories, but... But Dwayne, uh, how how did that relationship? We know how Wayne, we know how Wayne brought Joey into the fold in Oilerland. But what about what about for you and the football club? Well, uh, we got a phone call uh, that uh, Wayne wanted to uh, see if we would take Joey in to help us during the summer because he would work. It was all the stuff that he was doing with the Oilers was helping him, 
and uh, and he was kind of regressing during the summer where he'd go back and just watch TV. And so Wayne brought him in, and I'd met Joe before, but didn't really know him. And and he, uh, Wayne brought him in, and we started talking. And and Wayne said, "Well, I'll pay him for being here." I said, "If he's working here, we'll pay him. Don't worry." And I called Sparky and and said to Spark, "What's this kid like?" And he's like, he said, "Be careful. He's smarter than you think." <laughs> and um, and he. Uh, so the first day we started working there and Owen Sparks said, Oh, and he likes a cold, cold beer after practice. I said, okay. And so we started working and I had uh, Rick Holmes and Rob Strecker were working with me and practice ended. I was doing a bunch of stuff and I was doing laundry and, and they were cleaning the locker room. And I said to Joe, Sparks says he's a great vacuumer. So I, I give him a vacuum. I said, you vacuum in here and I'll see you guys in a bit. And I go back into the room and I come back out after and, Joey's sitting in a locker and Robbie and Rick are vacuuming. And I go, what's the, what's the problem here? And, and uh, Robbie goes, Joe said he hurt his arm. He can't vacuum. <laughs> and I said, really? I said, I sat down by Joe and I said, are you okay? He goes, arms hurt. Can't vacuum. And I said, uh, then it's probably too sore to hold a cold, cold beer after practice. And he goes, he jumped up. He goes, I'm better. <laughs> he runs over, pushes Robbie <laughs> out of the way. We finished cleaning up and, they leave and Joe and I are in the locker room by ourselves and I'm getting ready to lock up and I see Joe picking sock lint up with his fingers off the carpet. And I go, holy cow, this kid is good. I'm going to have to pick up my game. So uh, we had a great bond right off the bat. And, you know, Joe uh, was a fixture. And we used to say that every day with Joe was like a day of America's Got Talent because he'd do something dance or sing or do something and it was amazing how uh, he kept the locker room loose and and uh he, we had midget wrestling with him and uh, jc sherrod and they'd go for the belt i know we did a lot of wrestling with the oilers but it was he was hilarious staffy you gotta have a few memories as well i'm guessing a ton of them yeah it's a it's a it's a touchy subject i guess with us with us guys oh yeah as the Mandrusiak, he was part of the Mandrusiak family and spent spent an awful lot of time with us too, with um, Susan and I. But uh, you know what? Once again, I'll just kind of digress to say that uh, half a bottle of whiskey and uh, or whatever, and we should devote a whole story to Joey Moss and the stories that Dwayne's Dwayne could go on for years, and so could I, and you know Sparky and Kenny and. Um, you know, I'll just kind of just sum it up by saying that uh, Joey was honored um, by the NHL uh, trainers at a, at a trainers conference a few years ago. And, and the organizers asked Kenny and I to, to uh, prepare a bit of a, you know, a, a bit of a uh, presentation on Joe Moss. And um, I started about a month or two months before writing things down and, uh, uh, you know, I got, I think I was at 14 pages and I, and I just, I said to Susan, I thought, I can't, I can't do this. Like they've given us five or seven minutes to talk about Joey Moss. It's not going to happen. So I lost a lot of sleep over it. And uh, even right up to the night before, I mean, we're, there's 400 people at, a, at this beautiful banquet uh, honoring Joey Moss. His family was there and, um, you know, a bunch of our Oilers staff. And uh, it just dawned on me, the only way that I can truly, um, explain how important Joey Moss was to myself, our family, and our team was that, you know, he brought pure joy. And Dwayne will understand what I'm talking about, and you guys as well, because you've gone behind the scenes with us a lot. He just brought pure joy to everybody's heart, not just the, the teams, but 
we take him out in the community and, and all the community work that he did. And he's always like Dwayne said, that, that's a great way to describe it. Like America's got talent because that freaking guy would have us laughing every single day. Like even to this day, um, there's not a day goes by and I'm sure Dwayne and any, any one of us guys will, will say that not a day. I mean, I'm literally saying this, this for a fact that we don't come up with something that, how Joe Moss affected us. And so what I did was I had a video of Joey Moss dancing. His, 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 one of the things that he loved the most in his life was dancing and singing. I mean, just loved to dance. And he was a great little dancer. And he was dancing at a, at a recital in Tofield, Alberta with a, uh, the dancing teacher. And uh, I had it on video. And to see the look in his eye and the, and the happiness and the joy that he had, I, I had the video coordinator for the, for the hotel uh, kind of hone in on the video. So I got the video and I played the video. It was two minutes long or something. And I just said to everyone, just look at the joy in his eyes and you'll see what I mean. And uh, that's about the only way I can sum up uh, with getting into a lot of detail and taking a whole whack of time. Um, Joey is a very special uh, uh, person to, to the Mandrusiak, to Dwayne, his family and staff, and as well as ours. And it's just, to, to do it justice, we're going to have to spend another couple of eight. Yes. Yeah, I, I would be all for the uh, Joe Moss podcast. Um, one quick one for me, Staffy and Dwayne, and you would have seen little vignettes like this more than once. Um, you know, you see Joey around the room, and as an outsider who occasionally is in the room as a, as a beat guy, you get a little sample of it. But the time we were in Tampa and Dan Lacatour got traded and he was holding up pretty well. He, I mean, he was shocked. He was being traded while we were on the road and he leaned into me and he said, say hi uh, to Mosser for, or bye to Mosser for me. And he broke into tears. Uh, I don't mean a trickle. I mean, he was sobbing. And that tells you something about a relationship behind closed doors that the average people who might see Joey belting out the anthem or putting out the water bottles, they don't see that very special uh, relationship that clearly exists with the players. I, I just have to echo that, too, because I remember there was a, a game, and it probably was in January, February. Joey would take a little bit of time with the family, and they go to Hawaii. Remember that, Staffy? And I remember Colorado was in town, and after the game, I knew Joe Sackick from the Western Hockey League. The first thing Joe said before we even got into an interview, where was Joey tonight? He was very concerned. And there's a guy on the opposition team who uh, who saw the impact made by Joe. But you want to talk about a guy who's larger than life. Dwayne, you were just telling us about a story out of Vegas. you got to tell everybody that because it just makes me laugh when I think about it. Just tell, tell everybody about uh, the experience in Vegas and Joe was involved. We, um, I had the honor and, and Staffy was, um, was there and, and of working Wayne Gretzky's fantasy camp for a few years in Vegas and Wayne treated us great. We stayed at the Bellagio and we, we ran, we had the best of the best equipment guys and trainers and stuff. And Wayne wanted it that way. And Joe, it was great to see Wayne and Joe together because Wayne knew that eventually this was going to end. And he spent 
every minute with that kid and made sure he was having a good time. And we'd finish eating and we Wayne had something planned every night and we finish eating meals and we Sparky and I enjoy would go out of the blouse. We'd go right towards um, New York, New York or left to Caesars pass. We'd walk down the strip and every night people would stop and ask Joey if they could take their picture with him. And, and he would be, he would be hamming it up, but, Spark and I were walking here. We are with thousands of people. And I said, we are walking through this city where we know nobody and everybody knows who Joe is and they all want their picture with him. And it happened every night. It was amazing to see. <laughs> hey, community involvement. Uh, we've all gone through our health, health challenges and everything. I, I got to go back about a month or two, the toast of the town event where Kevin Lowe was honored and uh, it, it was done to generate funds for the cure cancer foundation uh Dwayne, you were there we'll get to that in a second but staffy let's quickly talk about that event with kevin generated at that specific event around two hundred and thirty thousand dollars, which is spectacular but you guys have done a great job of getting out into the community even when you were uh, you know full-time employed but now that you guys have just got a little more time on your hands you're still heavily involved staffy that was a great event well thanks uh, Brendan, you know, of course, it was uh, near and dear to my heart. Um, I do have multiple myeloma, which is a bloodborne bone, a bone cancer. I'm a very, very lucky guy. Uh, myself and my co-chair Brian Anstice, who is a very close friend and colleague of mine, uh, Brian is also uh, has multiple myeloma, and uh, there is no cure for for multiple myeloma. And uh, through the, the the years of treatment, I, I'm 10 years post transplant. Um, so that in itself is, is, a, is a very unique uh, milestone. Um, and through the, through the work that I did with the alumni and uh, learning and working with Robin and, and Brandon, your, you know, and Dwayne as well, and all the people that, through these different charities, I got to know um, the executive for the Cure Cancer Foundation very well. Uh, Roger Swainson, uh, Darren Baumgartner, Guy Mercereau, um, um you know, and it, there's just a group of a, a great group of people that were mainly involved with the Glen Anderson Day of Golf. That's a 33-year um, event that's been going on, where the proceeds went directly to the Cross Cancer Institute. So uh, that really tweaked my interest. Glenny Anderson's been involved in them for, uh, with them actually from the inception years and years ago, and so um, we got the alumni involved. I got to meet the um, uh, the the board. I got to work. Uh, as, as a committee member for Glen Anderson Day of Golf. And then I realized that through the Cure Cancer Foundation, there's many different avenues. One of the, one another one that you guys will all know is uh, Dr. Brent Sake, who's run the world's longest hockey games. Uh, Brent is part of our Cure Cancer Foundation. He's also a, uh, on the board of directors. He's raised, I don't know, maybe 14 million bucks or something, or just, a, just an unbelievable group of people. We have a Jammin' for the Cure, which Darren Baumgartner started uh, which did very well. Uh, we have a group called the Bird Dogs, which is uh, was started long before I got involved with, with prostate cancer. Um, so along with the Glen Anderson Day of Golf, uh, Brent Stakes Hockey Games, the, um, um, uh, the Bird Dogs that look after prostate cancer, and um, uh, the Jammin' for a Cure, uh, the Toast of the Town was started as a companion event, just a small event, um, to try and help out. And it went very, very well. And uh, 
this year we we stepped it up. We were you know had an extra year to prepare because of COVID. But uh, you know the the key thing uh, and the, the main point of Toast of the Town is that we're we're here to save lives, and um, you know it doesn't things like that don't happen without a, a, a village of people, a community, a committee that's unbelievable, um, and and so the premise of the Toast of the Town is to raise money, raise funds to help Dr. Chu with blood cancers. He's working on a Dr. Chu is a world, well, I'd say a nationally renowned uh, oncologist that works right at the Cross Cancer Hospital. And uh, he's knocking on the door on a, a therapy called CAR T-cell therapy. And that's where the money was going, is going actually directly. And um, so, you know, in order to, to generate the uh, exposure and the awareness we're very lucky to, to be able to honor our, our good friend and, and colleague, Kevin Lowe, and his, his friends and family were involved. And uh, we had a great event. Uh, Ron, uh, Ron McLean was our host. Uh, Brian Burke, who some would say was Kevin's nemesis for a while, although they're very close friends, um, was there. Glenn Sather was there. We had 16 Oiler alumni. And... Um, uh, Bryn was a big part of, of our production and our committee. So I'll throw that out there too. Bryn, Donnie Metz helped us out, uh, KMG marketing, uh, event and, and just, just a ton of people. And to Dwayne's point about championship teams, bringing friendships together and lifelong friendships, an event like that, that does so well like that, that has so much cooperation and, uh, um, so many people working together, it, it builds strong relationships as well. And uh, we're very fortunate to do what we've done. And we're going to continue to do that as well down the road. Dwayne, your challenges health wise, how has, how's that going for you? Like it can't be easy. Well, you know what? I've always, um, uh, looked at it like it's a minor inconvenience and I, I won't let it, um, eventually it, it will, take become more severe i imagine but right now um i continue to um um work as hard as i can um i i don't have the parkinson's where you shake i have the parkinson's that is called rigidity and you cramp up which is can be very uncomfortable because it's not just a normal cramp it's very intense but um i am I was wondering, my people would come up to me. I, I didn't know I had it, and I probably had it for a few years, according to one, Dr. Boyko. And, and uh, I was starting to walk without, I was losing all the movement in my left side. And, and people were saying, did you have a stroke? And I would be like, what are you guys, crazy? You know, I, I'm fine, you know. And, and uh, they finally t- sent me to uh, get some tests, and, and it's been 10 years now. So um, I had... Uh, I had to reinvent uh, my golf game. I had to, there's some things that I, um, I have hammer toes and, and, and you know what? I, I look at it as um, what you guys have gone through and, and, and uh, I'm very fortunate. Um, a number of my family members have passed away from cancer and, and I don't jokingly say this, but I said, I, I won a lottery in my family. I only have Parkinson's. So, um, you know what? It's a, uh, it's, it's a, um, I turned to the um, the doctors and said, well, I had a, a great neurologist who said, how do you want to treat this? We can go slow or we can jump on this. And I said, I grew up in an environment where you have five days to get better, not five months. And so let's go. And that's what we've been doing. We've been going hard at it. So it's, uh, it's, 
it's a challenge, but it's a challenge I'm, I enjoy taking. You know, Bryn, I got to, I got to jump in here and, and this is unscripted. I'm sitting here as a relatively normal 63 year old man now, uh, having had a birthday in August, realizing how time flies. And I'm looking at uh, Dwayne, who I never saw miss a step uh, with all his challenges, a workload that, yeah, it's, it's great to be involved in football. It beats working at, the, at a factory somewhere, but always had a smile on his face, always did the job. I'm looking at Barry Stafford, who we would sometimes have a lot of fun with and stick the needle in on the road as he was sharpening a dozen pairs of skates and had the work piled up behind him, uh, who did that every damn day without complaining that I ever heard of. And now you, um, interrupting our podcast for all those months with – your specific challenge and you've bounced back and here you are in front of the mic now, Bryn, um, after we all know what, how bad that was. Um, that's amazing guys. Um, I don't know what you can say to it and I don't know where I'm going with it, but I'm sitting here looking at three guys who I think have a lot of jam, a lot of moxie and are doing a lot of good in this town. Um, so I want to be on the record of saying that at the very least. I, I think I can jump in and say all three of us are full speed ahead, guys. That's how I. That's how I've always viewed Dwayne. That's how I viewed Staffy. Uh, I just think that uh, there's very little that's going to get us down. Is is that fair to say, you guys? Absolutely. You know the one thing. I, the one thing I will say. Uh, you know, Bryn, and you know, I mean, you made a, a miraculous recovery, and it's it, uh, for the. I'm not sure if people realize that Bryn was part of our committee and uh, then he got got the, got the news about his cancer and it set him back, uh, I'd say almost a year probably. And Dwayne's been, been working, like he said, uh, at, at his uh, uh, rehab for 10 years. But I will say that there is hope for anybody out there. I mean, the world is a scary place and, um, you know, tragedy hits everyone. Um, in our case, I will say that the funds that we raise, and it's no different uh, in any uh, charity group, the funds that are, are being raised are going to work to help people, in our case, help people save lives. And uh, the, the research and the new treatments help Bryn. Uh, they're helping my good buddy, Brian Anstice, right now, who's, who's um, on, on the road to recovery and is, is multiple myeloma. And I'm sure some of the technology and some of the new treatments that Dwayne is being involved with, with uh, all came about from private funding, from people that are passionate and people that care. And that's the one thing I will say about Edmonton and this community that we live in. It's overwhelming. Um, yeah. and, and the support of our community, uh, I can't say enough about that. It's overwhelming. All right, we, we just are very lucky to live in, in a city like Edmonton that have so many people that really do care. And they make a difference. They are making a difference and they are saving lives. I also believe that whatever's done here benefits somebody in Calgary or Vancouver, Toronto, and whatever's done in any of those cities can also benefit us. So I tend yeah. to look at the the grand scheme and I, I'm with you guys. Okay. To kind of, it's hard to believe I'm saying to wrap this up because this has been so much fun, but I, I have to ask you about your bodies of work. And, and a question I wrote down was how many rings for both of you guys? And uh-huh. Do you view the the rings, or do you view the whole the whole body of work 
and just think to yourself how lucky I am. And Dwayne, we'll start with you on that one. Um, I have 11 rings. Um, I went to 18 Grey Cups with the organization, and we were fortunate enough to win 11. And you know what? Um, the rings are a bonus. Um, they're nice to have, but um, I um, would have worked this just as hard if we hadn't won any of them. Um, I loved what I did. Um, I never took it for granted. I, and I made sure that the people who work for me never took it for granted. So, um, you know, to say you're blessed, and I do say that, you know, jokingly say I'm the luckiest five foot five guy. I am very lucky to, it's the right place at the right time. It happens with a lot of people. And, um, and I miss it all like crazy. I miss it. But, um, um, I was, I sit back and people tell me to write a book and, and, uh, I, I always say I got to wait for some people to die because Kep would chase me to the end of the earth on that one. Yeah. But, um, um, I'm very fortunate, you know, and I, I wouldn't change a thing. And Staffy, what about you? Well, you know, it's amazing when you sit, uh, Robin is a a young 63 and I I know I'm, I just turned 65. You guys think I'm 45 because yes, 65 is the new 45. We're all young at heart, right? Yeah. But, um, the, the big thing for me is that I, I look at the road that our lives go on and you wonder, how did I get to where I am right now? And I, I, I have to, it really hit me when I left the training business more than anything. When I sat and thought and I was out of, out of the business for a while that I thought, you know what? I'm a lucky bastard, man. I, got, I had a great run. Uh, I came along, just like Dwayne said, at a very good time. And, and fortunate for me, I came along at a time when we had Glenn Sather at the helm as the patriarch of a dynasty. Um, not only Glenn Sather, but some of the greatest players that ever played. Um, and uh, we have seven Hall of Famers now, including Kevin Lowe. I, I came along at a great time. And, um, you know, 11, 11 rings that, that Dwayne, we could never catch up to Dwayne. I think I was at the, in the final seven times. I was very fortunate because the Oilers were in Canada Cups and World Cups and all those different events. But I will say that um, two things. Number one, uh, Championships do bring people together. Um, they 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 form like you form lifelong bonds when you're winning, because you 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 enjoy and respect people that know what it takes to win. And trust me, this is a very very competitive world we live in. People might not see that side of it, but it's a competitive world. Um, and the second thing is that it's those friendships that I carry with me. Uh, we talked about the alumni, Dwayne. You talked about some of your great friends and. You know, uh, people that I've met through you, uh, Kep, Kepper, and, uh, you know, some of your great coaches and, and, and the players that you worked with. But that's what I th- I remember most. Um, I was fortunate to be on a lot of winning teams. and uh, But the thing that stands out with me is the relationships that I made with some of those great people. And I'm very fortunate that way. And, Dwayne, you were also fortunate. Norm Kimball was there. Hugh Campbell. You, when we talk about slats, I mean, from a football standpoint, you couldn't have asked for better guys to kind of get your feet wet with. Well, when I took over in the equipment room, I was 18 years old. And uh, Norm Kimball told me that uh, he hoped he would not have to talk to me all year. And I thought, geez, that, I didn't know how to take that. I didn't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. And he said, I said, is, is there a problem with me? And he goes, no, that means I'm going to let you do your job. And he respected me and, and enough to 
trust me. And so did Hugh. Hugh, uh, that's what we talked about on my birthday. Hugh called me and told me that one thing that he never had to worry about was how the equipment room and locker room were being run, which is really meant a lot to me. And um, you know what? I um, I spent a lot of time there, but I took a lot because I was wanted it to be just perfect. I wanted it to be the way Norm Kimball wanted it to be run. Norm had this standard that was so high you could you had to fight to get to it, but it it made it was exciting. And when we won, and Norm would come up to you and and thank us and and thank me personally for what I did. That meant a lot to me. So I I, I take that with me. You know, Rob and I have been talking about getting together with you guys for a while. So uh, this has just been uh, it's been a privilege, at least from from my standpoint. Uh, Rob and you, got fi- any final thoughts? No, hey, I, I'm with you. What I said earlier is 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 down that same road. Uh, these guys are never going to say it about themselves. Um, I think their body of work uh, says everything you could possibly say. And the regard, uh, when you talk to players around this city, whether they played here uh, three years ago or 25 years ago, the regard with which they're held uh, pretty much tells you everything that they've done and what their careers have been about. Guys, thanks for your time. Really appreciate this. Thank you, pleasure, John, and thanks uh, uh, for letting me be with a Hall of Famer, Barry Stafford. That that uh, I didn't mention that, but he's a Hall of Famer too. So, congratulations. The Outsiders is brought to you by the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. Well, as expected, things did slow down on the real estate front in the Metro Edmonton market over the summer. That's no big surprise. We all kind of knew that was coming. Brent's been saying it for months. However, things do tend to pick up a little bit in September and October before we get into the winter months. But if you're finding that your household is a little on the small side right now and your current family roster is growing, then now's a good time to track them down. Give them a call at the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City and they can assist you with the sale of your pick or your purchase of your next superstar. You can find them at 780-464-0075 or mcintoshgroup.ca if you want to send them an email and they would love to chat with you. They can get the process going with a complimentary evaluation of your current home. No obligation, no deadline for this offer, but don't let the market pass you by. It's been really quite strong this year. They're very happy with the way things have gone, both buyers and sellers. Anyway, get a hold of Brent or any of his team members at the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. Wow, that was quite an episode today. And as I said, right off the top, Robin, long overdue. Great to get both Barry and Dwayne on our podcast today. And we thank them once again for their time. Well, absolutely. And uh, there's plenty of room and plenty of stories remaining to do that uh, next podcast that Staffy was talking about. Hey, we've, we've made it through the Labor Day long weekend. So now we know the CFL season is cruising. And we know the NHL season is coming quickly. That's all great stuff. Did I got to tell you what I watched on TV. I don't know how your weekend went. I know I did a lot of yard work, but I seem to turn on the television very late in the weekend. 
and I started watching. Uh, I watched the Bombers and the Riders, and then I watched the Canadian men's national soccer team take on the U.S. That ended up a one-one draw. Alfonso mm-hmm. Davies, wow, uh, unbelievable player. And and then I started watching some of the U.S. Open. I thought the tennis was actually very very uh, spectacular. It's great to see the Canadian players in particular are uh, elevating their matches and are playing better and better all the time. So we could talk about soccer. We could talk about tennis and Canadian athletes just seem to be getting stronger and stronger. It was a fun weekend. And then a couple of CFL games on the, on the Labor Day Monday, but Hey, we're starting to move into that season. And you can also tell by the temperature, nice daytime temps. And in the evening, man, it's getting cool quick. Uh Yeah. It's, it's crossover season time pretty quick here. Hey, don't forget to check us out on Twitter. The handle's really simple. It is Outsiders2020. Make sure you tell your friends and your buddies to subscribe or follow us. Our RSS feed is on your favorite ear candy site like Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Deezer, etc. And we're also on YouTube as well. And your support is greatly appreciated. Uh, We would love to talk to potential advertising partners. We're doing it right now. We're hoping to add some special features come the start of our season number three which will be the first week in october but we want to get bigger and better and the other thing too and we haven't talked very much about this robin is the fact that we are looking to go twice a week rather than once a week have you got enough in you oh i think i can run my uh, gums for uh, another time per week absolutely that would be fantastic and we'll have more details on that coming up over the next few weeks or so great episode today hope you enjoyed it robin talk to you next week You will, man. See you then. Bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle.